Hello, and welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. How are you? Good, I hope. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also a speaker and author and CEO of The Speaker Sisterhood, which is a network of public speaking clubs for women. And on today's episode, I'm going to start out with a letter from my mailbag. I wish I had a mailbag. It's actually from my inbox, but I'm calling it my mailbag today. <laughs> and I'm going to read you this question I got last week, and I thought I should share this on the podcast, and I'll, I'll give you my answer. And then we're going to jump into an interview that I'm so excited to share because it's all about this huge topic that comes up constantly only because we're talking about the subject that people are most afraid of, public speaking. So this this interview today is all about how to befriend fear and what if fear was there to help you rather than hurt you. It's a really good conversation about reframing and my guest is such an expert at thinking about it differently and sharing tips on what to do when fear comes up. And I love some of the advice she offered, and I hope that it will help you as you continue on your public speaking journey. So before we get jump into that, I want to remind you that the Speaking School for Women is back. That is my signature online course that I teach twice per year. It starts again on February 21st, and registration is open right now. And I'm so excited about the women who've already registered. I'm like... So like they're just so cool and like I'm I'm excited to get to know them better and to be part of this journey with them and I hope that you will think about joining us. There are six spots left. And this course is for women who are thinking about finding a way to get paid to speak. If you think that being on stage is super exciting and you love the idea of helping people and changing lives from the stage and you'd love to make some money doing it, then the speaking school for women is for you. All right, let's jump into this question because it will give more information about why I do this. And I didn't really realize this, (laughs) but I guess I haven't really told the whole story about how I arrived at this whole world of public speaking training, which shame on me, man. (laughs) So here's a question I got last week in my mailbag. Hi, Angela. I love your podcast, and I've been a fan since September of last year. I'm considering the speaking school for women, and I love the idea. I want to be a motivational speaker who helps women develop their confidence because I know that's something I'm passionate about. Can you tell me more about your speaking journey and how you arrived as the teacher of this course? Thanks for your podcast and your interviews. Sincerely, Sherry. Sherry, thanks so much for this question, and thanks for giving me a chance to reflect and think about why I'm doing this. I mean, it does come up pretty often, but... I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk about it a little bit on the podcast. So I guess I'm going to go back to high school. (laughs) I know you're like, oh, high school. No one wants to talk about high school. (laughs) But that's where it all started, you guys. It's hard to know from a podcast, but I'm six feet tall. I don't know if my voice sounds six feet tall. Maybe it sounds like three and a half feet tall. It could sound 10 feet tall, but the actual height of my voice (laughs) is six feet tall. And... Because of this, I was very shy growing up. I felt like I was awkward and I stood out and I was often made fun of for being so tall, especially when I was like 12 years old and everybody else was like half my size. (laughs) So I spent my teenage years being quiet. I was awkward and I stood out, but not in a good way. And I, I was insecure and I did my best to stay out of the spotlight. So that was a really great approach for all of high school and college and just fading into the background helped me to feel safe because I wasn't being made fun of and I wasn't being rejected. I just didn't give people the opportunity to do that because I was a wallflower (laughs) and just kept my head down and didn't speak. And what I learned was at my first job after college, uh, being quiet was holding me back. Even though I was a dedicated hard worker, and I'm sure you hear what I'm saying, ladies, you're like, I work so hard, and why am I not getting promoted, and why aren't people listening to me? It's because you're not talking. And I realized that when I was 23 or 24, like, all these people around me are being heard, and they're making changes, and I'm working really, really hard, and why isn't anybody noticing me? And 
it was one of those terrifying realizations like, well, no one's listening because you're not saying anything. <laughs> so one day I was looking around while sitting in a staff meeting and I, I made this, this other terrifying observation that all the people who were most respected and listened to in my company had this one simple trait in common. They were all amazing communicators. And not only that, they were also effective public speakers. And this was a turning point for me because I knew that not being able to speak up would stop me from accomplishing my goal, which was to one day be a leader. And I didn't know what kind of leader. It's not like I knew exactly where that was going, but there was this voice inside of me that said, you're going to do something important. And then there was this other voice inside of me saying, you're not going to do anything important if you don't say something. <laughs> so that was scary. And I was... I was pretty young, but I decided I needed to find my voice. And I started my public speaking journey at 25 years old. And that was 10 years ago. I hesitantly joined a public speaking club, determined to get over my shyness and find my voice. And it took me six months before I said anything in my club. Like, I was silent. I didn't give a speech. I didn't give feedback. I didn't say a word until the president finally walked up to me and said, hey, why don't you... um." why don't you give a speech? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not ready. And the next thing he said changed my life. He said, you'll never be ready. You just have to start. And I was like, okay, put me on the schedule, I guess. And I cried and lost sleep for the next two weeks leading up to that meeting and finally walked in and I gave my four minute speech about my job <laughs> while having a panic attack <laughs> and just feeling like I was going to pass out and my legs were going to give out and just feeling like so hot and scared. And at the end of it realized, oh, I didn't die. And continued to go back and give more speeches for the next five years. And since then, every speech got a little easier, but for years it was very difficult for me to open my mouth and have words come out. But today I'm happy to say I'm an award-winning professional speaker. I'm a three-time author and I've spoken at TEDx twice. And that's because I have continued to listen to that voice that says you are going to do something important one day. And even when I was terrified and crying and thinking, who cares what I have to say? This, 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 I'm not the kind of person who gets on stage and does this. Every single time I did it and every single time I learned something and the audience learned something and I built my confidence. And public speaking has changed my life, not only professionally, but it has given me the confidence in who I am as a woman and the mission I'm on. And when people ask me about the secret to my success, I always say I started before I was ready and I kept going, even though it was hard. And I do mean hard. And public speaking has been my best teacher and my greatest accomplishment because it's shown me who I am and it's given me the chance to be a role model for other women and girls. And the goal I set for myself 10 years ago to learn public speaking so I could become a leader has not only become or been accomplished, but it's also become the movement I've chosen to lead to inspire women all over the world so they can learn how to speak up and find their voice and build the confidence to do the things they never thought possible, just like I did. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're someone who cares about claiming the stage and you think no one cares about what you have to say, I'm here to tell you that you are wrong. I didn't know I had important things to say. And what shocked me the most after I gave one of my first speeches 10 years ago was when a woman said she learned something from me. I was shocked. I was like, what? How, how did I do that? And I couldn't believe that something I said had the power to change someone else's life. And after that, all I wanted to do was speak more and see if I could keep coming up with things that would change lives. So Sherry, I hope that answers your question. It's been a long journey. There are many stories, and I try to share some as I go and sprinkle them into different episodes because there, <laughs> there are a lot. <laughs> and public speaking has been one of the top five character building um, lessons and endeavors I've ever taken on in my life besides hiking. And I talked about hiking on another episode, but I really hope that everyone listening you 
will cons- continue to go out and do the things that are difficult, like getting on stage and saying what's important to you, because that is what the world needs. And if you're ready to speak up, I want you to consider joining me for my signature course, The Speaking School for Women, because I only teach it twice a year, and it's back on February 21st. That's in like two weeks. So half the class is full and six spots remain. So if you want to be heard and get paid to speak in 2017, I hope you will check it out. You can find out more and register on my website, angelalucier.us, and click on Speaking School. My last name is spelled L-U-S-S as in Sam, I-E-R, AngelaLucier.us. I also share more of my stories about my speaking journey in the course, and most of them are hilarious, so you can expect to to do some a good amount of laughing in the course. (laughs) So that's it for um, some background on the Speaking School for Women. Please feel free to email me if you do have questions like Sherry. My email is Angela at AngelaLucier.us. I'd like to thank my sponsor, McNally Communications. You can say it better. They'll show you how. Find out more at McNallyCommunications.com. All right. Now, without further ado, we're going to jump into today's interview with Christina Stathopoulos. Christina is a coach. She's had a lot of different lives in one short life so far, (laughs) and she has a really interesting take on fear and why it should be your best friend. Enjoy. Christina Stathopoulos is the founder and head coach of Hear Her Roar, a private coaching practice for women. She is an accomplishment coaching certified coach who specializes in working with high-performing women who are keen on developing bold voices, perfecting the work-life balance, and creating a life that serves them. Prior to coaching, Christina's pursuit for playing powerfully began at Mount Holyoke College, where she earned degrees in English and chemistry. Her previous roles have been diverse, her experience ranging from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center to the hustle and bustle of New York City startups. This interview is going to be full of twists and turns, and um, I'm excited to hear more about Christina. So Christina, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me and thanks for the intro. Yeah, I'm I'm excited cuz we're talking about this question today of what if fear was your best friend? And I want to see if you can convince me that fear should be my best friend. And so I thought of some questions that might be helpful in getting us to, I don't know, me seeing that yeah, like me me and fear should walk off in the sunset together. <laughs> 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 a little lovely little intimate dinner with fear. Yeah. Yeah. Like we'll have a steak, some baked potatoes, and just see how it goes. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about how you got into this type of work you're doing today? Because it sounds like you've done a couple different things. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, go figure that we're about to have a conversation about how fear should be your best friend. Um, because to be just super candid about it. A lot of my own experiences have come from my fears. Um, You know, I currently am a coach in private practice, but before that, you know, I was in New York City startup life. I was in children's publishing for a little while. I worked in radiology. And, you know, all of those experiences, um, the one thing that they had in common, funny enough, is that right as I got to the edge of like what quote unquote real success looked like, like either earning a degree or being accepted into medical school or, um, you know, getting that like luscious promotion that would change my financial security and my leadership role and all those cool things. um, I kind of went, Oh geez, what am I doing? Like, what if I mess up? What if I can't keep it up? Like, what if I fail? And found the next shiny new position to sort of roll into, Um, which, you know, sounds funny. And, you know, the reason that I can talk about it with such such lightness is really, you know, the same thing sort of happened to me in my last position where I had teamed up with a coach um, at this startup that I was working for. And we produced this Women's Empowerment Summit. It was, you know, this incredible sold out summit, um, different... Uh, women leaders coming and speaking to entrepreneurs and mothers and all these people. And, you know, right around that time, like my momentum was picking up in this startup company. And I was getting like kind of antsy and nervous, like, when's it going to crash? When is it going to burn? Like, when am I going to start hating this? When the coach was like, hey, like, you walk the walk, like, 
you talk the talk, like you should walk the walk of coaching. And I was like, perfect, let's go into something new before I freak out over here. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, to to get trained as a coach, I myself went through a one-year transformational program with accomplishment coaching. And in that year, not only did I get trained to become a coach, um, I was coached. And in getting coached, I had the chance to see like, oh, like, this is this pattern that you operate from. And what's at the base of the pattern is just fear. It's this anxiety that I'm going to fail or that I'm never going to be good enough or my achievements aren't going to count or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like we all have our disempowering stories and like those were just some of mine that seem to just keep cropping up everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it was kind of like this like huge wake up call for me. And now I'm in, you know, my current position feeling like I'm doing all the things that I've always wanted to and no longer allowing that same fear to have the same significance as it used to have. That, I, I love that story because it's you know, there's an element of reflection where you're like, okay, I'm here now and I've made all these like crazy decisions and that as soon as things started to feel like normal and like they might start to mean something, I like, you know, rip it all apart into tiny pieces and start over. When you had the, I guess, the realization that you were doing that, what happened next? Did you, were there a lot of tears? Was there a lot of journal, journaling or was it kind of like this major release and you were just like, okay. Let's make sure we don't do that again. Like, I'm always interested in that moment because that's a huge, um, I don't know, revelation, right? Mm, Yeah. And, you know, as soon as I had the revelation, I went to my usual go-to, which was beat myself up over it. Like, I definitely went the tears and tissue box route and was just like, oh, look at all this time that I've wasted. And, like, of course I'm a failure. I can't commit to anything. And... You know, it was, you know, some sob stories for a little while. And when I kind of let myself have that, like that's something that I've learned is like part of what has changed my relationship to fear is like actually accepting that it's going to be there Hmm. and like getting my needs met around it, which for me is usually being heard and being seen and being understood and gotten. And then afterwards, you know, putting down the tissue box and you know, either picking up a pen and writing about it to my newsletter or, you know, just picking myself up and going to an event and connecting with people on their own fears and, you know, just those common obstacles that feel so real that get in the way of everything it is that we want. Um, But, you know, it's just, it's sort of one of those things where, like, uh, once I discovered that fear had such a hold over me, I was like, oh, so I just got to get rid of it and coaching is going to help me get rid of fear and then I won't feel fear anymore and then I'll be perfect. And I got met with the bittersweet news that that's just not how it works. (laughs) Like you don't get to conquer fear. It's actually always there. The difference was learning how to, you know, kind of to your point earlier, like just let it be a friend, like not have it be your mortal enemy. It's actually just something that's in the space with you and you can have it be significant or you could just, you know, let it squander, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I want to back up because you mentioned that there's a story your mom told you when you were a kid uh, about fear and nervousness. And you kind of just like teased, teased the story. You're like, oh, I make sure I make sure you ask me about the story. So I want to hear it and I want you to share it just as a starting point, because I think um, that might be helpful for framing this. Yeah, absolutely. So um So it's funny, right? Like we as adults have already decided what our relationship to fear and nervousness, like what that relationship is. Um, But back in the day, you know, I was probably about four or five years old and I was about to have my first ever dance recital. And um, I remember being backstage with my mom and with all the other girls in the class and they were using this expression that I'd never heard before. Like, all the girls were saying, like, oh, my God, I'm so nervous. Like, I'm so nervous. I'm, like, I'm really nervous. Like, what if I mess up? Like, and I heard it over and over and over again, this word nervous. And, you know, at four or five, it was just one of those complex emotions that I didn't totally get yet. Mm -hmm. And so I actually turned to my mother and I went, like, Mom, all the other girls are nervous. Am I nervous? (laughs) And bless my mother's heart. 
like, kudos to her. She's an engineer. She just goes, well, actually, Christina, nervousness is something that some people's families get. And so, like, if your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa can get nervous, then so can you. But no one in our family gets nervous, which means you can't get nervous. <laughs> and, you know, as an obedient four-year-old, I was like, that makes perfect sense and went on stage and did my thing. <laughs> How long did that hold for? <laughs> so, you know, it's so crazy because that principle actually held on for years. Like, despite always kind of considering myself very introverted and in social situations being a little more reserved, when it came to volunteering to be the first person to give a presentation in class or to, you know, be the speaker at Girl Scouts or whatever the case may be, I'd be like, I'll go first. I'm not nervous. Like, I can do it. This is fun. <laughs> my um, family doesn't get nervous. Yeah, no one in my family gets nervous. <laughs> it's a highly advanced genetic property that my mother taught me when I was four. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, like, I think that's what we forget is, like, it actually is as simple as you telling yourself, like, oh, like, like nervousness, what's that? Constantly thinking, like, oh, did what I say sound dumb? Was it a little weird? Was it wonky? Uh, are people going to be able to follow my line of thought? Um, but what I got from remembering that conversation with my mother was that in that moment, she just made fear insignificant. It wasn't something for me to focus my attention on. So when you're an adult and, and you're in that situation where you're about to get on stage and you're feeling fear and you go, oh, I'm going to remember what Christina's mom said and I'm going to just reassign what fear means and not let it have power over me. Rationally, that's a great plan. But how do you actually embody that or how do you, I don't know, how do you let, how do you make it feel more comfortable? Because it seems like there's a level of conditioning that's taken place where we like accept that fear can be so paralyzing and take over to the point where where we can't use our words we're stumbling we're um you know we've lost our line of thinking like I'm doing right now um, <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any thoughts on that because I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense and it's like yeah like just take the power away from it but mm -hmm. is that easier said than done you know I think so here's the first part of the equation is you have to be willing to believe it is that easy. Um, and the second piece of it is just practicing it. Um, so like when I say practice that, what do I mean? Well, for me, like I, I'm a very visual person. And so sometimes like if I'm about to speak at a conference or, you know, go to one of my group coaching sessions, I actually kind of visualize fear as another person who's on the stage and it's like oh yeah like if you put fear you know in center stage that's what everyone is going to notice is your nervousness and your jitteriness and you know the ticks that we all get for example when I'm nervous I tend to talk super super fast because I like grew up around New York City <laughs> um and what I do is I actually visualize the spotlight moving from that thing called fear and on to what I'm at the talk for. Hmm. So, you know, if you are giving a talk at a conference, like why did you show up there? Um, for me as a coach, I tend to show up for women who are ready to take control of their lives, who are looking to create more power for themselves or more love or more joy. And like that's what I put the spotlight on is that like my purpose in being there, like what is intended to be significant for me is spreading those things, is giving, pe like, giving people an experience that when they walk away from the conversation, they got joy, they got love, they got motivation, they got inspiration. You know, they're considering what that means for themselves. Because the thing is, like, we already know that we get scared. Like, we already know that we get nervous. We already know that these things happen. Um, so you don't need to do fear any favors by continuing to point to it. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I think the other piece of it is, like, really, truly understanding that, like, I always think of, like, the concept of, like, how do you train a warrior? 
oh, you like put them out in the battlefield and you actually have them fight. Like you could do all the drills and you could do all the practice, like you could do all the training, but the the real way to get to the experience is to just be willing to try it and to practice it. Mm-hmm. Um, because then in doing so, it kind of, like I think, I don't want to make a strong assertion, but I know for me what tends to make me so nervous when talking to people is because I'm thinking about what the feedback will be. Like, what are they thinking about me and what I'm saying in this conversation? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I tend to notice that when I'm working with, with students in the speaking school, they, they get a lot of fear around writing a speech that people are going to want to hear and are going to be, like, interested in listening to. They get nervous those couple minutes before they step on stage, and then they also get nervous about getting feedback on their talk because they're wondering that whole time, like, do people like me? Do people like what I have to say? Is this valuable? So what advice do you have for them when it comes to kind of dealing with feedback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean... The first place that I'll be just like really candid with is I am constantly reinventing my own relationship to feedback. Like, you know, I was an overachieving straight A student. So to me, feedback needs to look like getting a 100%. And if you get a 98, criticize yourself about the two that you missed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all those things in between. And so I think really like this sounds like a weird thing to say, but I think the biggest thing to remind yourself when you're getting feedback is it's actually not about you. It's about what you're delivering and what you're offering others. So if someone, you know, if you deliver a speech and someone was like, hey, like I just couldn't really, like I wasn't clear on what the subject of the conversation was, or, you know, you talked about Um, you talked about confidence, but the entire time your own voice was really shaky, like, oh, right, like, they're actually commenting on, like, the value that they were hoping to get from that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I couldn't even figure out what value I was supposed to get. You know, make note of that. It's not about you. It's simply about what you're projecting through you. Right. So detach from, yeah, yeah, interesting. I like that. Um, What about different situations when fear comes up, like when speakers are negotiating contracts or making big business decisions? Because that's a little bit about feedback, but it's more about asking for what you're worth and making decisions that could impact your your bottom line and your, you know, your financial success. Mm, Yeah, definitely. So, you know, of course, there's always going to be like those occasional situations where an opportunity is like knocking at your door and you have to like quickly answer. But I find for the most part when it comes to things like negotiating a raise or talking about a promotion or, you know, to your point, like being willing to ask for what it is that you deserve, um, usually you know that situation is coming. And so, you know, the thing that I would point to is actually get clear on what you deserve. How does that work? (laughs) Yeah. So like. I mean, it sounds so obvious, but, you know, I remember at my previous job, I would manage interns and, you know, when they would come in for interviews, like it was so apparent that they weren't clear on why they deserved to have the internship. And so I think it actually, like, I find it incredibly supportive to like hand write, like, hey, like this is the amount of money that I, you know, deserve to be paid for the speaking engagement or you know, here is what my value is is as a coach and therefore what my rates are. Um, And it sounds like a weird thing because, like, I noticed that in particular, like, negotiating is where people get really funky. Yeah. Because suddenly it is about you. It is about your worth and validating that. And I think we feel like we have to prove the worth to others. Um, But, like my best advice and it's funny like I notice like I myself am getting anxious like well who am I to tell people how to tell themselves to like qualify what they're worth because I'm getting antsing about my own self-worth and trying to answer that question um so like don't do what I'm doing which is question everything I'm saying and um and really like I think the big thing again is just get clear on what what it's all for Like, I think we think about our fear as the block more than we think about the possibility as the fuel. 
So as an example, like if, you know, getting a $10,000 raise means that, you know, your kid can afford to go to a better school system, which means you're providing your child with a better future. Like that's why you're asking for the money. You're not, you're not just asking for the money to ask for it. Like it's not just like another, you know, another A to get on a test. There's actually like a greater purpose behind it. Like there is an improvement to the quality of your life or the life of someone that you love. And I think it's about constantly centering yourself in the fuel, in like the big juicy what for, rather than allowing yourself to get harbored down by the usual conversation of like, oh, but you know, $10,000 is a lot of money and I've never asked for something like that before and I need to prove that I'm worth it. Like, yeah, if you focus on the fear and the trepidation and it's like, well, it's just money, then you're not going to get very far. But if you're focused in on like, oh, this is like what I'm fighting for. This is why it's worth going there. Because it's got to be worth going there. Yeah. But what about being, and maybe this is exactly the point you're making, is being able to show the company why the $10,000 raise is a good idea for them. And, mm-hmm. and um, because, yeah, it makes sense. Like for you, like, yeah, I, I, I want to offer my child a better future, but for the company, I need to be able to tell them in, in exchange for that $10,000 raise, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Like, do you think that that's an important conversation to have too, to try and like add some value to the case? Cause I would think, telling them I want this raised because it's good for my child isn't probably the most compelling argument. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah. No, totally get where you're like where you're coming from. So, um, I think what you're speaking to is really what the enrollment conversation needs to look like. Um, and enrollment is actually just creating a relationship with someone. Uh, I know like in the case of the company, it doesn't seem that way because it's like, no, these are like big decision makers and this is a whole company. Like what's the relationship there? But it's actually like no different from, you know, working with students on a group project or, you know, talking to your significant other about the chores that you're going to do in the house. It's actually about laying out like truthfully and authentically from the heart, like this is what I believe I deserve and this is what it would provide for me. And, you know, in return, like, these are the things that you provide for me, which will make me even better at delivering these things for you. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly that's what I was thinking, like to have that to start to kind of close the circle of like, here's what I get, here's what you get. And here's why it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And not just thinking about the money, but thinking about the outcomes of like what the money means. Because I think that that takes the fear. When I think about it that way, I'm like, oh, that's not scary at all. That's like having a conversation about an exchange. It's like, this is how it's going to help my life. This is how it's going to help your life. And the number amount isn't really that important. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. It's kind of like how we're talking about fear can sort of be the thing that takes center stage without you intending it to. Like, usually money or like conversations and negotiation, they do the same thing. Like, you get focused on a number. But, like, the number is just a representation of this entire mutual relationship that could be created around it. And that's the big what for, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you can share an example of a time you worked with a client and changed her mind about the role fear plays in her life and how that played out. Ooh, yeah. Um, Oh, man, I could go so many places. Are you thinking more professionally or personally or... Um maybe professionally. Cool. So, um, Oh God, I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fear, money, and time are like, just as an aside, the three things that always come up in coaching. Um, but I think, you know, a cool example that came up recently with a client was, uh, she herself is a, uh, chef on boats. And so like, it's this really cool thing where like she gets to spend six to eight weeks, you know, in the Bahamas or in Germany, you know, cooking for all these different people. And then there's always a wait time in between. And recently 
we actually had a conversation around her, like her fears that were preventing her from asking for more consistent work. And the fear that she had developed was the reason that she works with the boats that she already works with is because she has a relationship with them and it's, you know, it's less scary asking for things. Mm -hmm. Um, But with these new boats, you know, she hadn't worked with them before. She didn't know anyone else that worked on them. And so she kind of felt like she was stranded in this place of like, how do I show up and introduce myself just asking for something? And, you know, it's cool because when you hear that out loud, especially with like our last example of like, it's really just about connecting and being in relationship with people, like there was the answer. Like, like, yeah, of course it sounds really intimidating to say like, I'm going to walk up to a stranger and ask them for a job. I'm going to walk up to a stranger and tell them to take me on their boat for eight weeks. I'm going to, you know, like whatever the scenario and how it played out was. Mm -hmm. And so um, the way that she processed that and like noticed the fear was that it was actually a larger conversation around um her fear of her worth when she enters conversations and so what we worked on was a really fun acknowledgement project where she got to connect with a lot of people close to her in her life and get clear on the qualities that they see in her that she brings into a room And once she was, like, you know, super jazzed up and noticing, like, all these amazing things about herself, like, that's when she actually just created a project that was about connecting with the 10 boats that she would want to work on the most and nurturing those connections. And then when you know the people and perhaps you've invited them to XYZ or, you know, whatever the case may be, then it's, like, the same thing as asking a friend if, you know you can paint their garage for an extra 50 bucks or whatever the case may be, right? (laughs) Yeah. So did she build these relationships and then eventually ask for a job or is she still sort of getting to know everybody and figuring that out? Yeah, so it was this really cool um, both and where uh, we're actually on a break right now because she is, um, oh, I'm so bad with geography. She's around, is that the Baltic? Is that where Italy is? I'm terrible with yeah, <laughs> guys. Don't don't quiz me on my geography. But uh, the point is, she's having the time on her life and a new experience. And um, the best part about it was, I remember when we were going through this list. And I want to be clear: she didn't get jobs from all ten of these people, and that happens sometimes. Um, when she went through the list, two or three of them actually did already know who she was because, you know, it's a small network and people talk and they were like they were already sold on who she was as a chef. Hmm. And then it was her actually making the time to connect and just like get to know them that really sold them on who she was. That's awesome. And I think you're totally right. Like we have this um this idea that when we're brand new in an industry or, you know, in a, in a focus area, everybody else is so f- much farther ahead of us. Like, oh, my God, those people have like 10,000 followers and that person's written a book and that person's already speaking at South by Southwest. How will I ever catch up? <laughs> and <laughs> it's like that kind of mindset of thinking like you're just a, a little f- a small fish in a big pond makes it harder to go out and build those relationships with the people who are probably excited to talk to new fresh faces and and learn new perspectives and get new ideas because we don't always want to work with the same people we want to build that network we want the opportunity to see who else is out there and just kind of keep finding new ways to build and so I think your example is a good one in that yeah she's in this field already people already know who she is but she's like oh I don't want to like go out and like ask for things meanwhile they're like oh she's a rock star (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's she's someone we would want on our team so um yeah thanks for sharing that story um I'm wondering what your relationship with fear looks like today and I know you've kind of mentioned it a little bit throughout the call but do you have like a new philosophy or is there are there steps you take when you feel fear showing up in different circumstances yeah absolutely so I think you know everyone has their own stories, memories, experiences of like how fear has played out for them. And for me, like what I noticed is usually fear shows up when I'm out of connection with people 
and when I'm not taking care of myself. Um, you know, it's, it's literally like, I imagine like that final straw that breaks the camel's back. It's like, for me, when I'm like pushing 90 in a 65 zone and, you know, the work just keeps coming and I haven't slept in days and I haven't taken a vacation in years that it just, it all crumbles in front of me. And I'm like, how am I this? Um, so for me, it looks like a creating like a true well-being practice for myself. You know, it looks like exercise, it looks like nutrition, it looks like working with a coach myself and really building the support structures um, to give myself a place where I can be seen and heard for the fears that I have and put them on loudspeaker so that they're not the ones screaming at the mic when I'm somewhere else. And then the second piece um, is really, you know, we've talked about relationship a lot, but it kind of goes this way too. Like most of the fear we've been talking about in this conversation, it hasn't been fear of snakes or fear of falling off a cliff or fear of drowning. It's been about fears that exist inside of us. And so I notice, like, when I keep all of it inside of me and in my own head, that's when it grows massive. But when I'm in conversation, you know, with other coaches, with other women entrepreneurs, with other people that, like, get it, and I can feel gotten and then also feel motivated and ready to, like, move on, that's actually what makes the biggest difference for me. So when you when you feel fear showing up, um, that's, like, the flag that goes up that says, hey, have you taken care of yourself lately? Is that kind of... <laughs> Is that how that goes? (laughs) Yeah, kind of, you know. um, And maybe, okay, I have a final visualization and hopefully it serves is, you know, we always think of like the devil on our shoulder or that voice inside our head that like tells us we can't do the things that we want to do, right? Yeah. Like, do you have, do you ever like picture what that voice looks like? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember the movie Spaceballs? Yes, I do. Do you remember the character Pizza the Hut? Oh my god, is that what it looks like? <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so for me, my voice looks like Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> like, when like she's whispering behind me and she's just like so condescending and mean to me and I believe her because she's Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada. I don't know any better. <laughs> And so I've actually taken on the visualization process of turning around to see who's actually talking to me. Wow. And it's usually just me, like, maybe at, like, six or seven years old, like, crying to go take a nap. Like, that's usually (laughs) what it really is. (laughs) That's awesome. And that that works because you've kind of, like, you've acknowledged it and you've kind of like observed it rather than be inside of it and feel crushed by it. You're like, okay, I see what's going on here. Let's Mm -hmm. move out of this. Right. Yeah. And so like my advice to people who, you know, are still practicing to learn how to be with fear differently is to take it on. Like, you know, if you're a doodler, doodle it. If you're an audio person, like talk it out with someone, like just close your eyes for a second. Think like, you know, do you have pizza, the hut behind you or Meryl Street behind you? Like, the one whispering in your ear and when you turned around and actually decided like hey I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go be the leader of my own life now like can you settle like who do you see in its place is it a crying little kid a turtle you know whatever makes you laugh yeah that's awesome um so do you have any last pieces of advice that would be helpful for dealing with fear or just kind of making friends with it yeah, I think I think the final piece of advice that I have around it is don't let the desire for instant gratification get in the way of you actually transforming what fear looks like for you. Um, and I say that like from personal experience, like, you know, we just finished up the first month of a new year. I've been in a lot of conversations with, you know, people in my life around what I want to create this year, which you know, when I say it all, all out loud and I put it down on paper, it seems like so much. 
Like, how am I possibly going to get it all done? How am I going to start this new project? How am I going to move to this place? How am I going to make this much more money this year? Like, oh my God, I'm thinking of it all right now and it's all in my space and how am I going to do it? And like, like take a, a step back and actually notice like, oh, like the reason I'm planning ahead of time is so that now I can actually create bite-sized pieces for myself. And I think it goes the same way with fear, whether it's fear of, you know, a speech you're about to give in a month, fear of, you know, the end of year review you're going to have with a boss, or even fear of, like, the conversation that you're ready to have with a significant other that you're not quite sure how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. All right, let's jump into our lightning round, our five quick questions with Christina. Number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Ooh, my number one piece of advice is don't think that you can only be a well-known speaker by catering to other women. And that sounds so lopsided, but what I mean by that is just like, remember that like men can be a part of the conversation And you're often speaking to women who kind of already know what you're talking about, whereas men are floored and they're dying to learn more. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Ooh, I do. So um, I'm a coach in private practice and you hear all these different things like you're a life coach, you're an executive coach, you're a health coach, you're a wellness coach, you're a career coach. And for a while, I was calling myself a life and leadership coach. And the reason for that is because my personal operating philosophy is simply if you want to be up to big things and be able to create whatever it is you want in all areas of your life, you just have to step up and be a leader of those different areas. Yes. And number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? (laughs) Ah, well, I am currently 25. So (laughs) I would say, um, you know, I would say go back and listen to this podcast and (laughs) celebrate, you know, your chance to be really candid about your journey and celebrate how you've gotten this far. And then, you know, uh, get ready for the next one. That's awesome. Do you have a... a particular kind of celebration you like to have for yourself? Oh, I do. Um, So I have two things. For one is I love taking baths. Mm -hmm. And um, the second one is I actually, um, so I went to Mount Holyoke College. I'm still really close with a lot of the women that I went to school with. And occasionally we'll actually just do like lightning round acknowledgments where we get a chance to like basically have a birthday party for whatever win we're celebrating. (laughs) Like in person? Uh, You know, sometimes it can be in person, but if it can't be, like, you know, that's the great thing about Skype and Zoom and all these new video channels is just like, you know, sharing the space together. Oh, cool. That's great. Mm -hmm. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Oh, man. Um, For my 75-year-old self, uh, keep looking like a babe. Keep walking the walk, even if you're in a walker. (laughs) And... Uh, and make sure that you let yourself really, really hear all of the acknowledgement that you've gotten thus far. Hmm. Number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Ooh. Hmm. I think I would pick probably, um, one of those little, Russian dolls, the ones that like, as you open it, there's like another smaller doll inside. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the reason for that is because like, you know, we always think of like the layering concept of like, oh, you know, kind of like it's representative of people who have many layers. But the piece that I think of is like, okay, well, after you open up and see a new layer, the other doll, like the the two halves can still assemble into its own doll. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just multi-layered it's actually also like um each piece of you whether it's at the surface or the deepest part of you can serve some greater purpose and has um you know use and pride and you know is available to others and people see it as whole and complete cool uh lastly what does it mean to you to claim the stage oh man i think 
To me, claiming the stage simply means like putting your foot down and like saying like, here I am. (laughs) Isn't that great? And like really believing it, like really just believing that you're great. I remember I used to do the musicals in high school and they talk about bowing at the end of a performance. And you tend to think like, oh, the performers bow to say thank you for the clapping. And the director, I'll never forget, said, actually, you're bowing because you're saying you're welcome. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So to me, that's claiming the stage is like owning the incredible thing you just created and then saying you're welcome to everyone for it. Hmm. Christina, is there anything you'd like to share with my audience, like any um, upcoming events or offers? Yeah, no problem. So... Um, What I was going to say is if any of your listeners are in Maine, I do live in Portland and I uh, tend to offer monthly workshops in person. Um, If you don't live in Maine and you wish you did because you like hearing what I have to say, (laughs) um, uh, to people both in state and out, I always offer complimentary discovery sessions. If you want to take, you know, 60 minutes to practice, you know, taking a look at your own relationship to fear and see how if you moved it to the side or transformed it in some way, what that would mean for you in your life. And that's really it. Awesome. So what if in six months from now, you're at a coffee shop in Portland and someone goes, are you Christina? I heard you on the Claim the Stage podcast and I decided to move to Portland Um, (laughs) to meet you. (laughs) I would say, please use all of that creative passion and energy to go write a book and make sure that you are featured in the like Time Magazine, you are incredible. And you don't have to move right away. You could find me um, at hearherroar.net or, you know, on one of my Facebook or LinkedIn pages. Awesome. Great. So I'm going to link to your website too in my show notes for anyone who wants to get more information about you. Christina, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really, I, I really enjoyed hearing your stories and your advice and just your own experience with, with dealing with fear and how you've, you've sort of learned to befriend it and be with it in your life as you, you know, take on new challenges and, um, you know, just become a bigger, better brighter version of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I mean, I love what it is that you do. I love that you have this platform for women. And uh, I look forward to seeing how else we both get to keep watching powerhouses rise. Awesome. Thanks. How cool is she, right? We love Christina. I hope you enjoyed today's interview and we will be back with so much more. I I have so many cool guests lined up for the spring, the, the winter, whatever we're in right now, and can't wait to bring you more as the February and March and April roll on. If you are considering signing up for the Speaking School for Women, jump on it. There are only six spots left. You want to secure yours before it is too late. And again, if you have any questions at all about what it, what you'll learn, what it'll be like, who else is there, please feel free to email me at Angela at AngelaLucier.us. And if you're enjoying the podcast and you haven't left a review or rating yet, please consider doing so. It's on iTunes. It takes about a minute and it helps more people to find the show. So I appreciate that if you wouldn't mind taking a moment. All right, guys, that's it for me. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. (laughs) I'll see you again next week. And don't forget, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.